Hey, Gavons, get off my fucking yard, eh? Welcome to The Dead Format, episode 29. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by Treehouse aficionado Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. I had a lot of time to enjoy Treehouse this weekend with my 2-2 performance in the Open. That was a modern Open, right? It was a modern Open. Did you run back Hexproof? I did, and I, I wasn't really too worried about my performance I was debating on whether or not I was going to go, but I figured that since it was so close, I should. And lost two pretty tight game threes. How much play do you think that deck has? Do you think it gets a bad rap for being linear? Or do you, like, basically if they have interaction, it's just over? Or do you think there's more play to it? I I think it's more about your draws coming together rather than what your opponent has. It's obviously very linear and I, I don't really think that there is too much play to it it's just sequencing and the deck gets a bad rap for whatever reason i think mostly because people don't enjoy playing against it but there there a lot of the times there isn't a lot that you can do and that does make people shy away from picking up the deck yeah for sure i found when i did play modern back in like 2014 was the last time i believe that a lot of the the skill against Boggles was knowing which cards from your sideboard were relevant and which cards from your main deck were just completely dead. You know, stuff that you don't think of, like especially with Leyline of Sanctity being, you know, a sideboard consideration. Uh, that was always, like, the interesting part, in my opinion, of the mashup. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it might not even be that way anymore, but... There isn't too much interest... It's not super interesting. I'm. I, I will say that. But <laughs> shout out, shout out to our boy Keith for top eighting. Again, right? Yeah. I feel like Keith is on a, quite a roll, man. I feel like every event recently, local he, event, he's top eighting. He is. He has been doing very well. So, to to not talk about modern because you all aren't here for modern, we got emails, and we got emails. We got a lot of emails. We got, I think, I want to say 12 emails. Is that right? We got 12 emails. We didn't get one email. We didn't get two emails. We didn't, I'm not going to do that. We got 12 emails. And I, I think they're from 12 different people. They are all from 12 different people. Yeah, we'll have to get our uh, digital handwriting analysis on it. But No, nah, man, this is awesome. We got... A real outpouring, I'd say, of support from our fans after putting out the call. Basically begging. We were, we were like, emotionally begging for emails. And you guys delivered, so much, much it, appreciated. Isn't that, isn't that why we do a podcast? It's just, like, an emotional cry for help you know, over, honestly, over the internet? Isn't that what it is? I would love to say no, but, like... I've been watching The Sopranos. Like, HBO, for whatever reason, was rerunning The Sopranos recently. 
And I was thinking about like when Tony's in therapy and I was like, man, it's kind of like podcasting is what he's doing, right? It's like the same thing, really. Yeah, uh, I, I, sure. How about, how about we get into some of these emails? Sounds good. Before we get into the emails, I want to thank our three new patrons that signed up this week. We had Josh Bingaman, an emailer from last week. Oh, it's that dude from, uh, not from Binghamton. Yes, not from Binghamton, from out west, is now a patron, thank you. Josh Perschbacher signed up as well. And also sent us an email. And Frederick Anterd became a $10 patron this week. And we look forward to seeing what he wants us to produce. So, start off Wednesday, we received our first email very shortly after the cast came out. And it's from Connor. And Connor was the creator of the Marchesa deck that we talked about a few casts ago. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, like an aggro loam spinoff with yeah. the Queen Marchesa. And he, unfortunately, Connor doesn't play blue. He makes this very clear in the email. And he and a few friends are starting a legacy podcast focused on non-blue decks in legacy. Specifically non-brainstorm decks because, quote, fuck that card, quote. I'm sorry, Connor. I love that card. All right. Anyway, do you have any tips for somebody starting a legacy cast? That's the first one. Wait, he's asking for our tips on him starting a cast. Yeah. People want to fucking know how like tips for podcasting from us. This is this is a fucking travesty. Get better. Get try to get advice from better people. Yeah, that's pretty wild, man. So he's talking about having a non-blue deck podcast? Yes. I feel like that... So, like, you know Saffron Olive, right? He he plays those wacky decks in any format. I think he plays probably all the formats when he streams. But he plays, like, alternate win conditions and crazy shit. You know, you see, like... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example, and I can't right now, but... Whatever the card with the contract with the demons, you know? That's what I think of when I think of him. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I think you would have a pretty big audience because I think people, we underestimate the size of the magic community, the potential listeners out there who just don't like playing tier one shit or hearing about tier one shit and want to like try wacky shit and really just like to brew. And I feel like that really, maybe it's like the Timmy psychographic, maybe that's like a the audience that we kind of forget about. And I feel like non blue really draws them in. Yeah. I, it's a very interesting space to explore for sure. But the big questions, there are two. One is what are our thoughts on non blue decks and legacy right now, specifically loam and death and taxes. And as true name players, what cards do you fear the most True name is the bane of my existence as a non-blue grindy deck player. So, All right. So wait, we just got to episode 30 without ever addressing one of the fucking reasons that we started this podcast was what? We were talking about the bannings. Uh, not, yeah, but 
we wanted to rebut all the criticism of true name nemesis and the calls for true name nemesis to be banned right uh there was so much salt everybody whining about a fucking 3-1 creature in a format with show and tell and all this other shit sorry you you rant for a minute no I'm, i'm just saying there's tendrils there's jace there's fucking delver there's all this shit and people are worried about play my island play my planes play my island cast this thing this seven turn clock if you don't have any way to interact with it which is difficult but you'll be dead on turn nine like is that really too powerful you know what i mean like it seems i can understand the frustration with true name nemesis it's it is a kind of a ridiculous equipment carrying breaker in like a creature mirror but it's not like there's not ways to interact with it it's not like there's not you know all the edicts and the blessed alliances and the zealous persecutions and the it's toxic not deluge that, yeah terminus like i'm not saying you have to warp your deck that far to to beat the card but it's not like you can't interact with it and you can blast it on the stack even it's blue so it's got that it's got a lot not going for it and it's just i don't know it seems crazy to me that when you can show and tell in an emercool or a grizzlebrand that people are upset about just a three one just seems wild i i agree i also i got that tony soprano on the couch in therapy vibe from from that that last (laughs) interaction so i think i think you hit the nail on the head with that yeah I think with the decks that I have usually paired True Name with, cards like Toxic Deluge are the ones that I technically would fear the most once you get into a board state with that. But in reality, it's just combo, right? Like, you're playing a True Name deck, and your True Name means almost nothing if you are facing down some sort of combo deck. So, I think that would just be my answer. He's, but he's saying so non-blue grindy decks is specifically this question, right? He said he just said, as true name players, what cards do you fear the most? So I'm assuming oh, I'm he's sorry. saying, yep. given that we're playing true name, what are we fearing? And I'm fearing that we're playing against a deck that is not really interactive and that isn't really worried about creature combat and is going to kill you some other way. No, but I think, so his next sentence is, True Name is the bane of my existence as a non-blue grindy deck player. So I feel like he's asking about what cards can they play against us, right? Oh, okay. Liliana the Veil, Toxic Deluge. Yeah. Exactly. Those are those are two of the best. Zealous. Obviously, it's really hard to be in white and black right now, but if you're in those two colors, Zealous is... Unless, unless you're Uncle Man. We're going to get to that later in the cast. Oh, shit. I can't wait for this. But yeah, anything, you know, Jace is pretty bad against True Name. Liliana's are certainly much better than Jace's. My three are Terminus, Deluge, Liliana. Liliana of the Veil is seeing like the lowest amount of legacy play that it has. Deservedly. But those are those are definitely the way to attack that card alongside just having red blast to to get it on the stack yeah definitely to kind of bridge these questions one thing i was going to say 
is flyers are often how you beat true name nemesis in like a creature matchup like the the games i have lost to death and taxes have almost always been if they've drawn their sarah avenger or if they're playing like a two to three sarah avenger build that just kind of goes over you and doesn't let you clock in time and maybe can set up a jit like in parallel with you getting your jit online and if they have like a flicker wisp to back that up the you know that's even better for them but typically, you know, being able to fly over True Name Nemesis is one of the ways that Death and Taxes can beat True Name. And that kind of bridges us to the other question, which is, what are your thoughts on Death and Taxes and Loam? Do you want to talk about Death and Taxes first? Sure. I mean, I, it's putting up more results than it has been. Again, it, it did win the Pro Tour and then sort of faded away. It is a deck that really needs the meta to be developed to tune into its identity and the reason why we weren't seeing taxes do well from the pro tour through now is there was such a shakeup in the meta that nobody really knew how to build it to target what we were going to see and now we're kind of at a point where we know what's going to show up and taxes can start to zero in again and we're starting to see it put up a few more results yeah, it's it's been showing up. I've seen one Brightling, I believe, has been in the last two lists that I've seen that have done well. Uh, three Revokers. So it seems like they've sort of settled. Do you think that the meta is more settled, though? And there's this other thing that I want to bring up real quick. We've had two straight challenges that are won by Elves at this point. Is that right? Yeah. So is the meta really, like, settled, or is it just, like getting more chaotic and when good players show up with decks that they're good, you know, confident playing and good with that anybody can win. Well, so I I think the meta is starting to settle just not with a single deck that has a target on its head. If we look at all of the events, we're starting to see a lot of decks around like four or five, 6%. And that's just sort of how it is. What I'm thinking about is, like, what would the meta look like if Death and Taxes and Elves are both rising at the same time? What, Like, what's that a reaction to? So, it depends on who you ask. Like, does Elves have a good Miracles matchup now? Are they both preying on sort of mid-range piles that are showing up? Yeah. I think that Elves is, but I don't think Death and Taxes necessarily is. Then what, what's Death and Taxes preying on? That, that's a good question, man. I'm, I'm really not sure why it would be better now than it was a month ago. Like, I'm not sure what deck has been Ascendant. It, we can cut this if it doesn't lead anywhere. I, I'm just really grasping. Yeah, I, I think that we literally just have a better target of what the deck is trying to tune in to fight. And it's a lot of Grixis Control and Grixis Delver. Grixis Control is sort of dropping slightly and Delver is taking its place. But we're starting to see the return of Delver and those control decks still stick around. So I think the meta that it's trying to fight is Chalice, Miracles, Grixis, and that's what it's aiming for. I think Chalice is a big part of it. Yeah, I think you're right. And... Like, one thing that's nice about playing Elves is you can have mainboard answers to Chalice in your deck, you know? How many how many decks get that, really? 
Yeah, plus, like, obviously an early chalice can shut down the elves' one-drops, but you can still chain your green sun zeniths into having enough creatures with your dryad arbor to just crater hoof your opponent. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can get through it anyway. And same thing with, you know, death and taxes. If you just stick a vial on one, it's like, who fucking cares at that point? And the cha- obviously the chalice on one affects your stuff. But Death and Taxes plays pretty solid up the curve. It has a lot of twos and a lot of threes. So regardless of how many cards the chalice shuts down, you still have game. Plus, Flicker Whisping and Chalice is pretty good too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So next email. We had an email from Josh, one of our patrons. And he sent us a Twitter message as well, just wanting us to talk about buys in Grand Prix and how much of an advantage it is. He gave the example of the ability to tune decks to the winner's metagame rather than having to slug through early rounds with unexpected matchups. And I think we both agree with him that having buys is a huge advantage. That's one of the reasons why people grind Planeswalker points to be able to get them for Grand Prix. But it's just, it's good to have buys. Buys are good. I think it's so important for us to play in trials. Like, they're they're bad EV or whatever people say. I, I don't know whether it's $20 or whether it, it varies on tournament to tournament basis. Magic Fest to Magic Fest. I don't even know they still do trials for Magic Fest. I'm sure that they do. They might call them a different name, but I'm pretty sure that they do. Yeah, I kind of zoned out for a second, but if you didn't say this, like you, your sideboard considerations can get so much tighter when you're on three buys, and they're they're much better on two buys than zero. You know, with zero buys, you're starting out in the wild west. You could you could play dredge dredge to start your day. You know, you could play, I don't know, any crazy thing that anybody shows up with, and sometimes it'll be sixty islands and. It won't make a difference if you had your buys or not, but more often than not, you're going to play against some crazy deck that absolutely can get you. Agreed. All right. So next email, Daniel Rude. Just wanted to do my part to help you guys break your email record. We did it. As someone else who was born in the 70s, yeah, I like the old guy representation that Tom provides. And you, Ian, can be an honorary old guy member given your love for old school. Your last two shows have been particularly good. Well, that's because we had Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, here we go. However, as a painter player, I was a little miffed that you guys didn't consider painter with the turn one mountain go. You are absolutely right. It could have been painter. However, however, I think a lot of our heuristics that we try to run when we see opening plays are based off of what the percentage of the field is so a lot of the things that we talked about were definitely based off of the highest probability obviously it could have been painter however we i just wouldn't have thought of that until a later play uh finally as a medical professional a three okay yeah we'll uh yeah we don't need to read the rest of it but motility is a great vocab word yep thank you thank you for the email all right another one all right, Rowan BK. What's up, guys? Been listening since episode one. You're the best podcast, obviously. 
Since starting listening, I've moved to Japan, and I'm one of your Japanese downloads. And I have two questions for you. There's a Team Unified Legacy tournament happening at my local store. What would you guys play, and what do you think the meta will be like? So wait. Team Unified means you can't you can't do the crossover. So like right. you, you can't play three Wasteland decks. There's always three players, and we're talking about Legacy. All three are Legacy, yeah. Gotcha. So I think it's you kind of you kind of go brainstorm deck, chalice deck, and something like elves or DNT, right? Yep, that's exactly what I was gonna say. So it's unfortunate, it's, but... it's gonna be it's gonna be based off of card availability, obviously, but something like elves and death and taxes and Eldrazi, one of those two, and Grixis Delver or Grixis Control or miracles or something like that obviously miracles can't be paired with death and taxes i think playing ant would be would be pretty good if if you were have like a good ant player i think that you're in high demand for that tournament okay i think that you're playing against a third of your matches against chalice is that good no you're right that's kind of shitty and the next question was about sideboard mapping now you went to Grand Prix Seattle. I didn't. You, did you bring your sideboard map with you? Okay, so yeah, he asks. Uh, you mentioned using a sideboard map when preparing for large tournaments. Do you bring it printed out? And if you don't, are you throwing away equity? For that tournament, I didn't have it printed out, but I'd played so many matches, and I'd started with Wilson's, which he had sent to me like you know a text file like a four-page word document and i had it had it as a reference for enough games like testing games and games online that i played that i had it completely memorized by then i've never have printed out a sideboard map no but i don't hold it against anyone who does i know it's like a hot topic in the community what i'm more interested in is actually like building i think what i was talking about were the excel documents that i've done like leading up to grand prix where I'll pull from MTG top eight and adjust a little bit, but have like every decks, you know, the, the top 20 most popular decks with their weighted metagame share. So, you know, sneak and show is 7% miracles is 7%, right. And then on and on and on, and then have my sideboard and how many copies of the card and then multiply how good the card is in the matchup by what share, uh, that deck has to give it like a like an efficacy score in that matchup and obviously there's the other side of the equation which is how bad are the cards that you're taking out of your deck so this is this is only like one side this is only the demand side not the supply side of the equation but it is good to see this is when you find out like oh hey pithing needle is actually doing way more a lot of times it's engineering explosives is actually doing way more for me in in more mashups than i'd realize and i can actually cut one of these zealous persecutions and have a more versatile card that overlaps with this other matchup that you know it's it's better against dredge where zealous is like dead against dredge and now i have three you know outs to a resolve board against dredge stuff like that you know in old school we call it greater realming because there's a card from Legends called Greater Realm of Preservation, which is basically just a circle of protection for black and red at the same time, but it costs two to activate. 
So you can get rid of a circle black and a circle red in your sideboard by playing one greater realm of preservation. And that's what I'm trying to do when I make those sideboard maps is determine if there's some place that I can maybe turn four cards into three cards and gain another spot in my sideboard. And I, I, I only do that for very large tournaments, like when I'm really putting thought into it. But Yep, I, I have not gone that deep. I've worked with people on sideboards before, but I don't think that I've ever actually sat down and done the math for the expected value of a slot. I sort of, even though I'm a math person, I sort of choose my cards based more off of feeling and intuition from playing the matchups. And I definitely only do this for larger tournaments. And it seems like Rowan has a pretty good code or pretty good app that he's working on that actually makes it easier to build a sideboard map and print it out. So I'm looking forward to see what that looks like. Did you see the attachment that we got sent? No, I'm looking at it right now. I I had not seen this. Yeah, so I'm not going to compile the code, like even though um, Rowan sent us the code. But the, the, he sent us a PDF of the printout for what the app gives. So I would, I would be interested in using this. But when I make my sideboard maps, I definitely have it play draw dependent. Because a lot of the decks that I'm sort of... Or a lot of the decks that I have played have days. And the play draw definitely depends on how I board. Yeah, same thing with Hierarch. It's a very play draw card. That's that's super interesting though. I I should have read through this whole email before I started spouting off because obviously you were talking about the physical sheets of paper, I guess. And that looks really cool. What what Rowan has here, it prints it out. It looks like it prints it out like very compact and also easy to read, so you don't have to get writer's cramp writing really small and then sweat in your pocket and have it be illegible anyway. So Victor Bernhardt says our next one, new patron. Thank you. Many thanks for uh, an above-average podcast. Very glad for the opportunity to support quality content. With the declining competitive legacy opportunities in Paper Magic, save for local variations in specific cities with a vibrant scene. I was wondering if that perhaps it is a good thing for the retaining and recruitment of legacy players. We usually think of the average legacy player as a person in their late 20s and older with an income to support being active in the format, but at the same time being restricted by adult life. Some people have demanding jobs, others have families, and so on. That lifestyle is difficult to combine with being an MTG grinder, as that would leave room for little, little else in your life. My motivation to keep on playing legacy with both family and work eating a lot of time is the gathering aspect. Going down to the LGS for a weekly legacy with 30-odd people and playing four rounds is not about winning, but playing. If their weekly leaned more on the competitive side, it would be way less fun. The banter, asking about people's kids, going for drinks afterwards would be subdued. This is also why I don't play on MTGO. You basically sit there, click your cards, and hope your opponent isn't a jackass in chat. The EDH scene has grown a lot in recent years, although it lacks a competitive aspect while being cost being quite a costly format to play which i was not aware of i'm thinking if we want to keep on playing legacy could the decline in competitive cardboard legacy be a net positive for the number of active players kind regards victor i have very strong feelings about this so do you want to go first no you go for it all right so we're up here in new england 
we've got New England Old School, Lobster Con, Old Man of the Sea. You've probably seen our logos. And then more specifically, we've got the Watertown Elementals, got the Salem Witch Hunters. Then down in New Jersey, there's, or New York rather, there's the Sisters of Flame. Uh, go a little south to Philly, D.C., got the Felwar Stoners. There's the Lords of the Pit out in Chicago. In Minneapolis, there's the Northern Paladins. Montreal's got the Tundra Wolves. Basically, what I'm saying is it's all these like regional crews. It's this very regionalized thing. And you get these characters. You know, it's, it's like a fucking... It's like the... I don't want to say like the Masons or something like that. It's not like some gender, you know... That, based thing it's it's about like it's just more like a club you know what i mean it's more of a relaxed casual atmosphere and i gotta say i fucking hate casual anything like i don't play edh and i i never would i i don't enjoy something about like the the encouraged not to win about it like the the groups i have played with in the past it's been like kind of frowned upon to to try too hard i don't know Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I think that that's what he's looking for with Legacy. If I'm not misreading this question, do you agree? Yeah, and I think that as long as there are enough people doing that, then then that's great. I think that a larger competitive scene definitely drives people to play the format more. So as long as you are in a local scene that can support that sort of club-like atmosphere that Ian is describing, then I think that's great. But I I do think that the competitive scene drives quite a bit of attention to the format. And without it, it we wouldn't be as great of a community. Yeah, it's something I really struggle with. And I'm not saying that old school is better than Legacy, I'm, I'm saying that they're different and I'm saying that I think that that's the vision that Victor is speaking to in this question, but I, I don't have the disdain for competitive magic that I think a lot of old school players have either because they were competitive magic players a long time ago and tried to get back into it and it wasn't what it, they found something different than what they, what it was when they left or they just got disillusioned with it or had some bad experiences or don't have the time for it at this point in their life. And I think that that's a lot more people than even admit it to themselves. But basically I do like competitive tournaments. I like going to like a legacy grand prix. That's not something that I have disdain for like, like a lot of old school players might. And I do think that that is of some value. So I don't think that this format's ever going to be completely divorced from the competitive side. Okay. So our next one, actually, hold up just to go back to that. Who the fuck is on the Salem witch hunters? I didn't know that Salem, the town next to me had their own old school team. Yeah. I, I can't tell you other than myself. I, I, it's seriously like the most guarded group. You're asking about the witch hunters, bro. I uh, so I'm not I can't know. You'll know. No, this when, is a, no, no. This okay. It's fine. When we it's knock fine. on your fucking door, we don't need to. We don't need to. We don't need to worry. No, I understand. You see what I'm saying? All right. Our next email from Brisbane, Australia, and Luke 
is super pumped to have us do a Bizarro Stormy Tin Fins Ice Station Zebra cast. And he really wants it. What now? Hold up. I I enjoy Tin Fins. I like people that like Tin Fins. But why is it that every Tin Fins player is so fucking pumped about Tin Fins? Am I no, am I wrong about that? Well, but with these three decks, it seems like there's sort of like a community specifically involving these three. Like you can't have one without the other, right? It's true. And like I'd never even heard of this Ice Station Zebra shit. If someone asked me two weeks ago, I would have thought it was like an insane clown posse album. I I don't know, man. We I know that we learned last week what Ice Station Zebra was, and I can't even remember. It was the Matt Nass oh, fuck, tin, yeah. tin Fins Depths deck. See, I don't even feel like that deck belongs in this discussion, though. I actually think that the other two decks are a lot wilder, so I kind of object to Ice Station Zebra getting the wildest name. Well, I think I think they're all named after C-Lab references. So maybe, maybe they're just a really big fan of C-Lab 2020. I enjoyed that show back in the day. I don't even know what that is. I thought, I thought it had something to do with Adult Swim. It, that's the cartoon. The cartoon is called Adult Swim. No, no. The God damn it. The cartoon is called C Lab Twenty Twenty. Adult Swim is a time slot on the Cartoon Network. Yeah. And C Lab Twenty Twenty is one of those shows. Yes. It's not the one with uh. uh Meat Wad and the French Fry Guy. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I know it is one. not. No, it is not Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah, then uh, I got nothing. Okay. I can, we say, get a Carl, can we get a Carl impression? Hey, Gavons, get off my fucking yard, eh? I, I don't know. That I mean, was actually, that was, whoo, killed it. Well, was it? It was close? Yeah, that was good. Nice. All right. Next one is from Jack. Longtime listener. Really liked the what deck is this from the first place segment. One thing that I wanted to go through and talk about, I like listened to the cast last week. And when you gave me that Chrome Mox question, that was a bullshit question. Because like, if you know that you are not going to counter the Chrome Mox, you get an additional piece of information from that. I thought about that when I was listening to. Yeah. I I, I did go back and listen to that. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of bullshit. Same, Same thing with the Mox Diamond question for sure, obviously. But at the time, I was actually waiting for you to say imprint, and then you didn't, and then it was, like, too late. So I'm going to blame that on both of us. Okay. Yep. You're absolutely right. Jack suggests that maybe we revisit that every so often when the popularity of decks shift and maybe when new things come about. So we can we can add in that what's the what's the deck as a segment that we can do from time to time for sure. So thank I you. Just want to, I just want to point out that Jack's Google avatar image icon picture. Do you see it? I just see a JV. You just see a JV? It's a beautiful picture by Faye Jones. Does that give you any clue? No, I don't know who that is. A beautiful piece of art by Faye Jones, commissioned in about 1993. Ring any bells? Nope. It's a man dressed in white with a man dressed as a dog in brown 
and an easel between them, and they're sitting on a seesaw. There's a crescent moon in the background. Is this is this a magic card? Yep. It appears the dog is painting the human. Seriously, stasis, bro? You don't know stasis? Oh Jesus, that that artwork is so shit. That is maybe the most iconic artwork I can think of. When we were having that artwork conversation with Lawrence, literally stasis could be done by like by like a D minus high school art student. All right. So we have an email that has an important announcement that we probably should have read first. We got an email from the Community Legacy League. And I don't know if you all have heard of this, but I actually got my start playing Magic Online. Not playing Legacy. I was playing in paper for a while, but jumping into Magic Online through the CLL. Basically, it's a way that you can play Magic Online without entering the leagues, kind of in a FNM-like environment that's held every Wednesday night, and there are prizes. So the website that runs the pairings and deck submission tools and all of that is gatherling.com, and the tournaments are held every Wednesday at 8.30 Eastern. Prizes go out to top four every week, And Tom Hep is currently sponsoring the league. And I can't say enough good things about the CLL just because that that sort of got me to start playing Magic Online. Wait, what the fuck? You, You started playing because of the CLL? Well, I started logging in on a regular basis. Like, I had MTGO. I would log in, do drafts. Never had a constructed deck on my moto account until i decided just to drop a little bit of money and buy storm to play in the cll mostly as a tool to learn how to play storm but yeah 100 percent. i never knew that interesting yeah yeah you you should probably be shouting them out every episode then so there we go you should find them on twitter they're at mtg legacy league you should follow us on twitter too we're a really fucking good twitter follow we yeah we i don't know about you i don't know about you all right so dan from the cll said that he's going to be in syracuse and niagara falls so hopefully we'll get to meet up sweet so naya m hey guys been listening my question for y'all is if you had to give some advice to someone starting into someone starting into the competitive scene of legacy what would it be also not related to that but how has magic helped your life? I always like to hear about what good the game can do for people. So what would your advice be for someone starting into the competitive scene of legacy? Do not buy any cards yet. Proxy the larger decks and play with your friends to get a feel for what the format's like, because the biggest thing that you need to do when you're entering into the legacy format is get experience about what your opponents are playing now obviously like you pick a deck you learn how to play your deck but 
you are also going to need to learn every other deck in Legacy and understand how it functions. You're also going to have to find what you enjoy doing. So before you buy any cards, play a bunch of proxy games with a bunch of different decks against a bunch of other different decks and start to feel out where you want to be in the format. I think that's the number one advice that I would give to somebody who's just starting out. Talking about starting into the competitive legacy scene, and it's... It, it just, this this sounds to me like somebody who wants to get a legacy deck and start, start like, wants to start to play in their local events. Okay. Like, not just kitchen table, like, they're considering competitive going to Etsy on a Tuesday or something like that. Oh, that, yeah, that's totally different. That, see, I see the word competitive and I have like these negative connotations, I think. How has magic helped your life? It's harmed my life. It's it's put my life in serious danger. Like up until age 29, I was living like my best life. I was in shape. I had a wonderful girlfriend who's now my wife uh because for the first few years we were dating, I wasn't playing Magic. And I just sort of coasted on those good years and trapped her once I started playing Magic. But basically, I haven't taken work seriously since I started playing a lot of Magic. Uh, my, I've gained definitely gained at least 20, 30 pounds. I have a lot less money now. So I would severely advise any relatives of mine against playing this game anyone i personally cared about it's like heroin right it's it's like anything else it's like uh like an alt music scene or like uh any any sort of alternative risky lifestyle yeah magic magic is huge negative ev however i'm sure that it has done a bunch of positive things for my life growing up i played it a ton and i can't help but think some of my like actual abilities teaching and in the grad work that i'm doing in math the problem solving strategies that i learned in magic definitely apply you i think met, so 100 uh, percent. i've cool. met a ton of great people through the game and uh it it gives me something to think about and I, since I st- since starting to play Magic, I have never been bored. That and is a hundred percent true. That is that is something that you just can't put a price on. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm playing it. I'm not not playing it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not dipping anymore. Like, I I do stop doing things that are bad for me, and I'm not stopping playing Magic. I, I was sort of being a dickhead before. I just felt like I don't know. New I, new this year, communi- new you. Yeah, this community is obviously great like the people we've met since we started podcasting is awesome the friends i've made through this game i don't know if i would have any friends at this point because like once you're married you you stop like hanging out with the dudes like the bros going to bars and stuff like that whole scene wait wait until you have a fucking kid yeah i know i i'm sure it's but actually i think that that might make it better because then you have less free time right okay sure yeah you have yep you can't go do that exactly so it's like it it kind of fills this very necessary void in my opinion and i have so many friends like i could i could reach out to a hundred different people and 
it's through this game and I actually have to move next year. I don't know how many people are aware of this, but uh, when my wife starts her fellowship, it's going to be in a different city. And because of magic, I'm, I'm not afraid of that move. Like having to move as like a 35 year old adult or whatever I'll be like, that's a weird thing. Like, how do you make friends? Especially if you don't have like a kid in school age or whatever. I'm not going to fucking worry about that for a second. I'm going to have friends waiting for me when I land because of magic, you know? That is that is a great thing about this game. It is a beautiful thing. All right. So we got three more emails, then we're going to get into decks. This is going to be another marathon episode. I hope our listeners enjoy the length of the last few episodes that we've put out. I know we had a few suggestions that we edit out less. Let's do it. So... Frederick Anterd sent us an email. He's a new patron as well. Thank you, Frederick. And he wanted us to talk about our limited time to play Magic due to life. This, like, perfectly bridges into that last segment that we were talking about, or that last email that we were talking about. He is about to be a father for the first time, and I would like to know. Oh, man. How do you combine playing Magic and being a father slash parent? Okay. So you're looking to literally combine it, right? Well, I mean, like, we'll we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'm going to teach my kid how to play magic. It's going to be up to them. Honestly, I'll I'll go through my my sort of transition. I guess before before I had a kid, I used to play a ton of magic. I used to get out and travel whenever I wanted to. My wife and I had had good jobs, and I was able to focus like. Anytime I had a tournament coming up, my time wouldn't be wouldn't be the limiting factor. It would just be my motivation to test. And I had some really good years. And now that I have a kid, time is definitely a limiting factor. I can't play as much as I want to. And I know that I am not as good as I was before. I'm like obviously more experienced. I've played the game longer, but I'm not I'm not as in tune with what's going on as I was when I was playing a lot more. So just tempered expectations for for what what you're expecting with the time that you have to actually play. That's kind of really important. Another the last the last paragraph of this email says the song Big in Japan was on the radio the other day. And given the huge success for your podcast in Sweden, which actually, this is really weird. We get the stats for like what areas are listening to our podcast. And obviously like the United States and Canada are first and second, but Sweden is up there. Sweden is like double any of the other countries that are on the list. And this is the second or third email that we've got from Sweden. So are we going to remix the song to be big in Sweden? I guess we might be if we get another email from Sweden. So what What the fuck is big in... Is that like turning Japanese or something? Here we go. You know the song? Uh, I don't. It's from the 1984 album Forever. Oh.
Yeah, I don't know this song, man. But but we we should we should remix it to be big in Sweden. All right, second to last email from Matt Elbows. Your cast is my favorite legacy cast. The content, banter, insight, and analysis. Thank you. You need better taste. <laughs> Seriously. Oh no, he says favorite legacy cast, so this is acceptable. Okay. Is it? Yeah. Okay, we're good. Oh, dude, this is the person that you played in Seattle that was in the mirror against uh, when you were playing Wilson's deck. Yeah, Matty Elbows. I should have remembered. Matty Elbows getting him him with the probe. So that was in Seattle. He's from Canada. That means he's probably from the Vancouver area, I'm assuming, and good for you. That area is beautiful. I love Vancouver. So thank you, Matt. Yeah, I think... I think he had said that he was actually like staying in Seattle, so he might be from farther away than that, but I'm not I'm not sure. I do remember though that we saw him also at the Grand Prix too. And Wilson had already talked to him independently of me talking to him. So he was like a recurring character in our Seattle trip. Uh, he's a cool kid. I'm glad that he emailed and I'm glad that he was listening and heard that hilarious uh he beat me in that match too, so congrats to him. Okay, and Last one from Corey, Doubt Nabby Roth. He's my boy. Oh, he wants us to shit all over Jerry for Jerry saying that Stoneforge Mystic was unplayable in Legacy. When did Jerry say that? Fucking on Friday. It was, or not on Friday. Wait, he said it on Friday, but nobody got to listen to that part of the cast because <laughs> it was just him on the audio. So like, the, I'm, I'm guessing the rest of the cast came out since then? It, it did. I, I listened to it when uh, when it got reposted. So, listen, we're going to talk about the decks after this this marathon session of going through our emails. Which, listen, next week, you know how we were, like, so pumped to get emails? Just fucking don't email, email us anymore. Yeah, we're, we're fucking over this shit. So, anyway, it's popping up a lot more in successful deck lists. We're going to talk about everything that happened last week right now. And Stoneforge Mystic pops up quite a bit. It's still playable. I think that Stoneforge Mystic is... I don't know. I don't have any opinion. Okay. So, let's talk about decks. We had Challenge, League, Classic. We actually got a Star City Classic. Can we start with the Classic? Yeah, let's start with the 16th place deck do you have the decks open is it mike rap it's mike rap it's my boy mike rap playing pretty much card for card callum's deck Cal- oh the phoenix deck right yep grixis phoenix and legacy he talked to me after he was very very happy to be playing the deck he had a ton of fun there were some card choices that he was going to change not the actual cards, but the number of the cards in the deck. And is that because I, he was selling some of them? No. Uh, well, I mean, like obvi- that that conversation we had was just sort of in passing, and obviously he did not sell his cards yet. Right. Okay. So I think I think he's sticking with Legacy. That'd be cool if this convinced him not to sell out. That's what I was hoping to hear. I hope I hope that that is true. 
I think he's coming to Niagara, so we'll uh we'll hold on to that. Sweet. Yeah, but my I wanted to give a shout out to Keith for top eating the modern open and my boy Mike for top sixteen in the classic. And at fifteenth, Azorius Stoneblade. No fuck it. Blue White Stoneblade. It's not Azorius. There's nothing nothing in there that is Azorius. Well but at that, third that, at that, third that deck, place there's also Blue White Stoneblade. Yeah, I mean, that deck has Stoneforge Mystic, right? Yeah, but you and, saw the third in, place deck, right? And in 11th, there's Death and Taxes, and that has that has Stoneforge Mystic. And in 7th, there's Maverick. And 10th, there's Maverick, and that has Stoneforge Mystic. And in 6th, there's Death and Taxes, and that has Stoneforge Mystic. And in 3rd, there's Blue-White Stoneblade, and that has Stoneforge Mystic. Man, that card's fucking unplayable, huh? It might be the most played non-blue card in this top 8. Maybe Lightning Bolt. It's between Lightning Bolt and Stoneforge Mystic, in my opinion. Swords to Plowshares? I mean, you you sort of see those paired together, right? Is there a Miracles deck here? No, but there's the Maverick deck doesn't play four Stoneforges, but it plays four Swords. Okay, so, yeah, you're right. It probably is, though. Yep. It's Swords to Plowshares, probably. Fuck. We're so close, man. It was. It was so close. Anyway, um, we had Delver take it down over Grissus Control. That's not anything unusual. But this, the prevalence of Stoneforge Mystic-based decks in this top 16 is a lot higher than it has been lately. Like, hands down. What? Th- look at this. Affinity in 8th. What do you think this is? What do I think Affinity is? Do you think it's going to be still stompy? It's kind of steel stompy, but it has Master of Ethereum. I don't think steel stompy has Master of Ethereum in it, does it? Yeah, so I just clicked in. It's got four Seed of the Synods, uh, four Master of Ethereum, so they get to play their true name. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's basically the steel stompy list with Master of Ethereum. That's it. Yeah. So, also Antiquities War on the sideboard, which which is kind of cool. I saw a vintage deck that was paradoxical outcome, but it played Psy, Master Thopterist, and Skull Clamp, which oh, seems nice. fucking awesome. Hell but yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, the affinity list is basically Steel Stompy with a little bit of blue. No thought cast, though, huh? No thought cast. No Gaia's Cradle. I still want to make <laughs> that work. I still want to make that work. That's your baby. All right, what else did you want to talk about from the from the Classic? Well, here's what I want to talk about. First of all, 178 players in this Classic versus 224 in the Modern Classic. Pretty good showing for a Modern Open, right? Yes. So that was pretty awesome. 178 players show up to play for five grand in Star City credit. Legacy, healthy, healthy showing. Second of all, we come from an area with a lot of Legacy podcasting going on, so... I go to these results and I control F for my own name, nothing. Smiley, nothing. Uglo, nothing. And then I actually, the next few people I tried, I also got nothing. It's amazing how many of us didn't go to this event. And I just wanted to speak real quick. Personally, uh, I lost my my beautiful uh, five-year-old sweet dog uh, this past weekend. Uh, we got the diagnosis on Friday morning and I only had a couple of days to spend with her, so uh, 
this magic was not a priority at all for me this weekend. And I'm sorry for anybody whose texts I didn't answer or places I didn't show up this weekend because it, I just had my phone on do not disturb all weekend. And yeah, I wasn't about to go. But uh, for all the people that didn't make it to this tournament, or for all the people who did make it, thank you for showing up and, and supporting Legacy. But I just wanted to tell people that, yeah, I wasn't able to make it. I'm sorry about that. And I hope uh, hope it went well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't have to react to this on the cast because I talked to you earlier. About yeah, it, no, please just, don't. Yeah. Please don't. I just wanted to tell, and I, I feel like I've been kind of off my game this cast. I've been kind of not zoned in on this shit for the past 72 hours or so. So if I'm just sort of winging it, I apologize, guys. So what's your excuse for missing uh legacy? Is it Patriots? Yeah, my my family had a thing where I I, I wasn't able to make it. Like if I day two the modern open, I would have went back to play, but for prize wall tickets, I'm not going to miss spending a day with my family watching football. So that was that was my excuse. That's good, man. Good for you. Have you ever played in a legacy classic? I have played in one, and I think I finished third. This is such a savage story. It was, uh, I didn't know what my opponent was playing because their matches were like over too quickly. So I was playing the four color stone blade deck and I was on the play cause I was the higher seed in top four and I lead on my noble oh, it's a hierarch. Syracuse, right? Yeah. I lead on my noble hierarch and say, go my opponent's playing Belcher and makes like 10 goblins and I have the stifle in hand. Yeah. Fuck me. Anyway, yeah. That, I just remembered this story, yeah. Yep. Uh I haven't I I mean, obviously I love playing Legacy, but I like big events that have some prize associated with them. So the challenge You want to move on to the challenge then? Let's do let's do deck lists. Because this is going to be something that I don't know if you've seen. It's a blast from the past. This is what brought us together so many years ago in 2016. I have not seen the deck list at all. So, Okay, so in the leagues, the last deck list that was published is a 5-0 from Uncle Man. No. Yep. And Uncle Man is our guy oh. that kind of sparked both of our attention in 5-0-ing with a Bant Stone Blade shell before Grand Prix Columbus in 2016. And that was the list that both of us saw independently, worked on, and then ended up playing in Columbus. And this is a black-white Stoneforge Mystic shell. Planeswalker package of a bunch of Lilianas and an Elspeth playing three chrome mocks to pair with the Stoneforge's Dark Confidants and Discard. What do you think about this list? I love this list. This is, if you go back to the bands, this is where my brain was starting, like trying to find a deck in this space. And I tested with our friend Ben Brandt, a deck that was very similar to this deck, only off by a couple cards. And... We did really well. The league that we ran through with this, uh, I believe, was a 4-1. 
Uncle Man has two Humilities main deck, which is pretty sweet. We had two Humilities in the sideboard, but yeah, this deck, it really speaks to me. I mean, have you played a deck like this before? No, I haven't. And I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. So you, I know that you were talking a lot about a black, white based confidant him or Thoughtseize deck. Talk a little bit about what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, my opinion on Legacy in general is you, if you're going to be playing a fair deck, you kind of either have to be playing a reliable turn one Thoughtseize or like a Days Force of Will package. Like you need to have six to eight of those effects, right? To be able to progress your game plan while also holding them back. And this deck has three Inquisitions and three Thoughtseizes. So you can confidently play a turn one because there's no Aether Vial, there's no noble hierarch there's nothing you're doing on turn one other than playing a thought seize unless you have a chrome mox draw and then you can deploy a turn one dark confidant and hopefully that leads you into like a a thought seize him turn or something gross like that right but basically this deck is it has five basic lands i'm sorry yes it does have five two planes and three swamps so that's how you can get over that negative tempo of not having a real turn one play in the deck by not getting wastelanded out of the game basically and this is just a john this is just this is just john is really all it is now in your mind is this a better more jundier version than actual jund well there's one thing about this deck that i really think is weird is that there's no thalias between the main and the side and that's really why I think you want to reach into white with this color pair. Other than, I mean, what are you getting out of white for this deck? You get the best removal spell in Source of Plowshares. You get Vindicate, which is kind of a worse Assassin's Trophy now, I guess. You get Elspeth Knight Errant, which is a non-blue Planeswalker that's not a Liliana. But Garrick, well, you get, or, you you know, get Stoneforge and Humility. Right. right, so I was, I was getting to the biggest ones, oh, I guess. Sorry. Which, yeah, no, you're right though. You get Stoneforge and Humility, which Humility's interesting. I mean, it seems pretty good against all these Chalice decks. Like it shuts down the Rabble Masters and the the. Well, like, what does Goblins do against Humility? I mean, they they'll have a bunch of one ones, but Humility, Liliana of the Last Hope. Yeah, that's that, that's not that's not bad. I'm surprised he's playing three veils and one last hope with with the two humilities. I feel like I would be two two. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I was just thinking about it. And the equipment package is very minimal for having stone four stone forges. Batter's called JIT. And And Sophie Sideboard. Okay, yep, you got it. Sophie Sideboard. So really you get all the best cyborg cards, or at least all my favorite cyborg cards. You're missing blasts, but you have Engineer Plague, Ether Sworn Canonist, Zealous Persecution, Containment Priest. Those are like the greatest hits in my opinion of cyborging. I think I might I might try to fire this up. Dude, you should. It, you should uh stream it. Well I ha- yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. What are you doing on Saturday? I don't know what I'm doing this Saturday, but 
I'll get back to you. But because I just thought of it, not Wednesday, not the day that this cast comes out, but two weeks from that Wednesday, January 30th, the dead of fucking winter, right? It's it's going to be miserable outside, Marone. It's going to be fucking snowing. It's going to be seven degrees in Boston. And you're going to come to Moogie's in Brighton because what we're having there is 1995. Ice Age, baby. We're unleashing Ice Age on old school at Moogie's January 30th. Demonic now, consultation is restricted. I was waiting for old school to start start to like every few years open up a new set so eventually we'll be in like the tempest old school format where you can have wait where you can have wasteland well no it's funny that would be great but it's funny the way that we're going is kind of the camp that i'm in is that during the winter you should be able to play with ice age that that's what i'm lobbying for and that's this is going to be a kind of like a test run of that for us because we've really never done something like that specifically in boston i know a lot of other groups have done similar things but so what what set is evolving wilds in a fucking zendikar i don't know oh okay that was the first printing i know the sh- they had the shitty fetch lands in mirage, mirage. yeah so okay you get... so you you get brainstorm but you don't get any shuffle effects no you do you have land tax in the format Oh, okay. Yep. You've got Sinbad. My favorite is Sinbad, personally. But uh, what I'm thinking about doing is um, Portent, Brainstorm, Ray of Erasure. Just get like Turbo Xerox because you don't have any of those effects, right? Yeah. In traditional old school. So you're playing like these decks with like 28 mana sources. So I'm going to go down to something, something like 21 mana sources, no soul ring, shit that people don't really do in old school. And just play like this hyper efficient control deck with with you know only eighteen lands in it. I'm really looking forward to this, man. And to answer your question, thawing glaciers comes along in alliances, and that's when you start to really get shuffle effects. But okay, I, I'm pumped for this. And anybody who's thinking about playing the format, uh, I think that the need for power kind of goes down with the introduction for Ice Age because there's a couple things you get. You get uh, a second dual land for allied colors like the sulfurous springs a dark our waste cycle uh comes in so you don't need to rely so heavily on city of brass for fixing and there are reasons to play two color decks at that point and you also get like a lot of uh a lot i don't know more, more efficient creatures you get like duplicates of the pump knights and you get necropotents right so there's the black deck just gets even more powerful. I think that a lot of people, if they came out to old school, they'd find that it's a lot less cutthroat than you think. It's a lot less about power than you think. I mean, I still don't own a black Lotus, you know, I've just been playing without one and it's totally fine. So yeah, you're going to sit down across from your opponent. Who's drinking a beer. You're going to get ritual necroed and you're going to fucking realize how much that card sucks to play against. All right. So I got one more. I'm sorry, I said they only had one, but I have one more. There was a Arclight Phoenix mentor deck that mentor? had Arclight Phoenix, Monastery Mentor, Buried Alive, and then all of the blue cantrips along with Days. 
So this is a straight four color 16 land deck that is just all about mentoring or just doming you with Phoenix. I fucking love this. I I love this. I've I've built similar lists with not Arclight Phoenix with Young Pyromancer and Land Grant and sometimes Tithe I'll try putting in, in, in stack too. Just playing like a ridiculously low land count. And now with Arclight Phoenix, that's like a whole nother angle for this deck. I fucking love this. Who whose deck is this? This is EGAD twenty eight ninety four. Oh my god. Fucking beautiful. EGADs. I gotta give it up. It's kind of weird playing days with uh, Arclight Phoenix, right? I mean, it's it's like a necessity, unfortunate necessity. But that's got to be a little awkward. But other than that, man, this deck looks sweet. It does. It definitely does. You get to take Our... advantage of therapy mentor. Well, it just it gives you... We talked about uh, Callum's Arclight list and about how the plan B of Pyromancer therapy is just a very solid thing to fall back on. And obviously this deck stretches the mana base quite a bit, but Mentor Mentor is quite a bit more powerful than Pyromancer. I just love Volcanic Island Scrubland decks. I cannot say that I have ever played one, <laughs> but but we have one right here. Yeah, it's super sweet. And I hadn't considered this at all. When I'm building these Arclight Phoenix decks, I always go towards Thought Scour and Intuition rather than Buried Alive. Like I, I try to try to do it in earnest, but it seems like Buried Alive is winning out. Like in the, we had Mike Rap top sixteen, right? We've seen Callum do a lot of shit with the deck. We have this one and another one, I believe, in the five O deck lists. It seems like Buried Alive is is the tech, right? Yeah, well, it gets you all three. Like you Intuition. And one goes to your hand, and that's really not where you want it to be. Plus, casting the Buried Alive is one of the spells for the Phoenix. So you pair that with a Ritual, then you're you're on your way. How, how would Bon Jovi say that? Would you be halfway there? Uh, you'd be two-thirds of the way there. Whoa... So you wouldn't really need to pray to get the other. You wouldn't. Other you would need off. to mildly ponder the geometric probability of having another spell. Like it's preordained. Okay, I like that. All right, challenge. I'm up for it. What do you got? Uh, Julian won. With elves, he was on our cast. It looks he talk- like he talked. He talked about elves. Archon of Valor's Reach. Well, uh, he talked about that a lot in the Japanese tournament report. Really? Um, It was very good for him. He's got four Natural Order in the list that he won the challenge with. Usually, that's that's one less. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of threes. So, I mean, he is a good Elves player. Elves has won the last two. Yeah, that's fucking wild, man. Okay, second. Chalice deck. Chalice deck. Third. Which is like Elves Chalice, man. But anyway, third is a Grixis Control deck, right? Yep. Nothing yeah. special. Main deck Power Blast is special. That's special. There's one thing that's special, you're right. And 
judging from this top eight, not very good. Yeah, the, that probably was not the best, the best card. But in Swiss, it probably did some work. Yeah. Uh, we had Agrolone. Four Sylvan Library. I've never fucking seen that in Legacy. So I just looked at the cards, and I was like, "Oh, Agrolone." And then I looked and I saw that it was playing a normal number of lands. It's only playing 23 lands along with the Mox Diamonds. Yep. But man, those four Sylvan Libraries got to be doing some work right here. Yeah, no bobs. So the only creatures in this deck are Knight of the Reliquary. Well, I mean, isn't Sylvan Library just a better bob? Like, it doesn't die. It is. The the reason that I kind of like mixing them up is because two Sylvan Libraries... Or two, you know, two bobs is actually okay, but, like, ideally you'd have, like, one Sylvan and one Bob, right? Well, then you can just discard it to one of the four Lilianas. Yep, yeah, no, that, that's cool, but I think, uh, I think this is super interesting. And, I mean, two Lingering Souls, that's not normal loam shit. This is not a punishing deck, this is just junk loam. This is like a, this is like Chalice Maverick, kind of. Okay, I can get behind the four-creature Maverick deck. Yeah, four-creature Maverick. <laughs> Send it in. Four chokes, too. This person just likes the number four, maybe. Ger- two Gerard's Verdict. That's a blast from the past. It's, it's him's five and six, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, Then we got Grixis. Grixis. Well, Grixis Delver. Right. Like and then, and then Grixis control. And then the fuck is this? This is uh Blood Sun. Blood Sun Stompy? I lost to this motherfucker. Yep. Why not it's, just play Blood Moon? Well, because it's it's like the uh Eldrazi deck. It's like punishing Eldrazi is more like what it is. Okay. It's a weird deck, bro. This seems like a weird deck. It is a weird deck. You know what, though? There's no... uh, What the fuck is the card? It might not have been this player that I lost to because I lost to the card Eldrazi Obligator. That's what it's called. Out of basically this deck, like the Blood Sun, uh, Punishing Fire, Chalice, Eldrazi deck. But this deck is just on four Thought Knots, four Smashers, two Inferno Titans, and two Hembringers. So this this is just somebody who just likes to fucking hit people. Yeah, the only way to upgrade Eldrazi Stompy is add two Inferno Titans and some Chandras. <sighs> Yo, what is this Talisman of Impulse? Uh, it's just a Mana Rock. I didn't realize this was a full cycle. I just thought that there was that one, that Talisman of Dominance. Yeah, I ran I ran one of them in my Bant Eldrazi deck in Modern for a little bit. Yeah, that's the one. That's why I know that card. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a fucked up deck. Like, just seeing that deck in the top eight of this challenge just makes me wonder how weak this challenge was. But <sighs> I guess it, it wasn't really... Well, does seeing who's in eighth make you wonder how weak it is, too? Well, no, I mean... Jolisette. Jolisette is a very, very good legacy player. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. I thought you guys had a beef. 
No, we don't have a beef. Okay. Like he's he's very very good. I I there's no beef on my side. Maybe maybe he's got beef on his side because I stifled the shit out of him. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's way better than I am. Uh, he made top eight of the challenge with his deck. Nobody else plays this deck. Uh, but he seems to do extremely well with it. So good for him. I this isn't a deck that I would recommend picking up. Right. So like, wait, what what the fuck is this though? Is this is this miracles without terminus? And, no, it's like, bl- it's blue white stone blade with Venser. With no Stoneforge, or no Stoneforge Mystics, though. This is blue white control. Yeah, like it's blue white. Standard has cooked this motherfucker's brain. He doesn't even know what he's doing anymore. Blue white things, blue white three drops. Legends, it's legends control. Okay. This is funny, man. So he's. He's playing four brainstorms and four ponders. This is wait a kinda, minute. You know, I, you know why I like this list. Because it's blue white delver with threes instead of ones. Well, no, I was about to say there's two sideboarded from the ashes. Yeah. And I really need people to play that card. Because you have a hundred of them. Yeah. Yep. Anything else that you saw? In the challenge, any insights? I just... I saw a lot of Chalice. Yeah, there's a lot of Chalice. You know what I saw one of? What? In in the whole fucking 32. And then you can add in the 16 from the Star City. So, for, there's 48 decks there. What card appeared one time? It's just a Wrath. One- just one time? It's a wrath. Only one time? Only on ZD. Hmm. Yeah, I see a lot more Supreme Verdict than yep. Terminus. Exactly, bro. Alright. We spent so long talking about the damn emails, we got all burnt out before before we talked about the challenge. Yeah, I gotta go. Everybody, everybody is just going to be like, I am sick of These hearing about her damn emails. emails. Yep. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. So, we're done. Yeah. Now, where where can people get in touch with you? If they want to contact you, but they know after last week and this week, we're not going to be reading emails on the cast. Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter while I'm still there at Ian18125. I have like one foot out the door on social media, but for now, it's it'll work. And where can people get in touch with you if they're looking for an easy follow back? At Dead Format Cast, and you can follow me personally at T Smiley MTG. I just want to make this clear for the for the tenth time that you're following Tom personally at both of those addresses. That's true, I, but reach, but when retweets. I when I talk about my social media following, I can add both of them together. So your one follow on both of those accounts, like if we're keeping track of the statistics, it counts twice. Okay. It allows you to follow twice. Wonderful. All right. Uh, don't email us at deadformatcast at gmail dot com. <laughs> 